Arizona's news station, KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. You know, the state of Arizona, I've never known of it, you know, proportionate, but it is standard operating procedure that military bases and military funding are kind of spread out amongst the 50 states. It's why you have... Um, military installations in these bizarre places. Like, why is that? And they go, well, the great senator from the great state of, you know, uh, who spent 40 years there made sure they got a base there. Um, In Arizona, we have three, I would call them major military installations. Here in the Valley, we've got Luke Air Force Base out in uh, in the West Valley. Mm -hmm. Down in Tucson, you have Davis-Monthan Air Force Base. Out in Yuma... You have the uh, Naval Air Station, but I think it's a, it's a Marine Corps station as well, so it's a joint base out there in Yuma. And let me throw Fort Huachuca in there, which is the Army's communications center down there, uh, Sierra Vista, uh, Arizona. Um, we learned uh, just this week that the Department of Defense says it will defer, divert $3.8 billion from its budget under Trump's uh, emergency authorization to build the wall. How is that going to impact Arizona? Um, Because on that list are all of those military installations I just said, where they would lose very specific things. Uh, At Luke, it's the F-35 program is uh, uh, one of the things where they're going to pull money from. The Pentagon will shift $3.8 billion from existing accounts to help fund 177 more miles of the border wall. It's the second year in a row that the Pentagon has shifted money around in order to meet a request from the Department of Homeland Security. Pentagon officials say the shift is necessary to help stop the flow of drugs across the border. But there is bipartisan criticism on Capitol Hill about the move that is seen as bypassing congressional control of the strings. Okay. So, so will you see, uh, let's say, I think the most vulnerable person is Senator McSally. And she's vulnerable because she For has... For a variety of reasons. Well, yeah, I mean, like, you know, in, in regards to this situation right here. She is a veteran. Yep. She uh, talks about uh, uh, strengthening the military. She. Uh, uh, She's also talked about protecting these bases. Ab- absolutely, she I mean, has. Those, one of those, uh, doing what's right for Arizona and protecting these bases is something that Senator McSally has ran upon and, and campaigned on. For example, last year, Fort Huachuca, down there in Sierra Vista area, lost $30 million uh, for a project they had that went towards the wall. Okay? Senator McSally said last year that... Um, it would be, quote, seamlessly provided in the new defense budget. By the way, that did not happen. This is the new defense budget. And guess what? Not so only is there her... not new money, we're taking more. More away. So this puts her in a really difficult position because at this point in time, is Senator McSally going to come out and um, chastise this budget and say that she wouldn't support this budget and she doesn't support the cutting of these programs in Arizona because it's not what's best for Arizona. And also knowing that the cuts last year were not replenished this year. this is an election year. Mm-hmm. She's running for election. Oh, yeah. And you also have the president who's also running for re-election. He cares and- about a wall more than he cares about Luke Air Force Base. 
And I believe Senator McSally cares more about Luke Air Force Base than she does a wall. So how does she thread that needle? Because Good nobody luck. nobody wants to get no, no Republican, especially uh, a Republican that that uh, is running for reelection in a state that's looked as a toss up and a seat that the Dems could pick up. Does, does she really want to ro- rock the boat with this president? So he, here is something. And I, I, I want to say this because. I do think there is an argument to be had. The argument to be had is, are there cuts we can make in the military? Do we need everything that we currently have? The reason I bring that up is, I will point out, as a true conservative, uh, we run into a deficit. We have uh, a record, record spending levels. I'm fine. With cutting, taking $3.8 billion out of the military's budget, okay? I don't think it's going to make us any less safe, honestly. But don't go and put it into something else. That's still $3.8 billion we don't have. Do you see what I'm saying? So I'm willing to have the discussion about, do we need this program? Is this necessary? Do they have to have that many airplanes or this construction? That's, let's have the debate. But not because we want to spend the money on something else that's completely stupid, the wall. But let, why don't we address the fact that we have record debt and deficit right now, as any real conservative would be concerned about? Hold your breath. Yeah. I'd rather don't. Yeah. You know, so how does Senator McSally navigate this in an election year is going to be fascinating to watch. What's also been pretty cool to watch is how Senator Kirsten Cinema has been navigating DC. This headline came out yesterday and I admit I read it and I go, Wow. Didn't expect that. It reads as follow. Kirsten Cinema to the right of Mitch McConnell in new legislative rankings. GovTrack.us is a nonpartisan organization, and they track a lot of government data, a lot of government statistics. And what they do is they will rank members from, like, the most conservative... Like, on a, number one and number 100 on a scale. Sure. Mm-hmm. And what we find out on this scale is that freshman Arizona Senator Kirsten Cinema is actually ranked as more conservative on the conservative to liberal scale than Mitch McConnell. Now, she is pretty darn close to the middle, and she's just... She's the Senate Majority Leader. Like, she's, she's just right of center. So she's Mitch, ranked 47th. So imagine the, the, the scale, liberal to conservative. The, yes, the... One would be conservative, 100 would be liberal. She's 47. Mitch McConnell is 49th. Yeah. I did not expect that. She is is more conservative on the scale than the Senate Majority Leader Republican Mitch McConnell. I think the argument is, and maybe this this plays well for 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 Senator Cinema is that she is in line with where the majority of Arizonans are, not Arizonians. Arizonians, <laughs> Arizonans. Yes, let's go okay. back to that. Uh, yeah, She's and, right. and I she, think. Even though she has a D next to her name, because we've said this before, the idea that all D's or all R's are the same. Senator Cinema, as a Democrat in Arizona, would be a right-wing Republican in Illinois or New State of New York. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you looked at that, but 
that's what a D is out here. That ain't what a D is on the East Coast. Well, that is, you can kind of make the comparison to uh, Joe Manchin in West Virginia. Same kind of thing, right? He's he's a very conservative Democrat. Uh, yeah, yeah okay? TV commercials with him need, shooting guns. That's what you need yeah. to be in West Virginia. It's a to get elected, period. Um, but, okay, so if you take a look at this even a little bit deeper, you find that Senator Sinema was ranked more conservative than the following Republican senators. Mm-hmm. She is more conservative than Rand Paul, Rob Portman, Richard Burr, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, we think that that's a good place to be, but I don't know if the entire state of Arizona feels the same way. And not just that. How does the Democratic Party feel about that? Well, but this is part of we've talked before about uh, during the State of the Union when she stood up and applauded when others didn't. Right. On, the on her, side of the, mm-hmm. uh, her side of the aisle. Um, I truly believe and, and I do not know the senator personally. Full stop. I think she is trying to craft, project, and sell a brand similar to Senator McCain. She is a maverick. She is an independent thinker. It doesn't matter if there's a D or an R next to her name. She's about Arizona, and she's going to do what she thinks is right, and no one's going to tell her what to do. And I think that plays well in Arizona. I, I think that's a good brand, but I think that's where she is trying to position herself, especially when you compare it to McSally who I don't think has that brand at all. I don't, th- I don't think McSally can claim the Maverick brand, no matter how many commercials she runs. Cinema shows it in her votes that she is, again, right, wrong, or different. You can, you can not like her for it, but she appears to be representative of a majority of Arizonans, which is right of center. And then, so how does that play out in the election this year we have between Senator Martha McSally and Mark Kelly? Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to, to find out. Yeah, because I think being right of center helps you in Arizona. Being the bookend on the right does not help you, as we've seen in recent elections. That's not that's not a good place but to the, be. The other thing, though, is, is if, if, if you that would work, be, then Kelly Ward and Joe Arpaio would be in But the Congress. same is true for the other side. You can't be oh, a liberal bomb-throwing. No. Yeah. You, you have to be more centrist in that uh, regard as well, which, which is, is what Kirsten Cinema is. Exactly. And is that what Mark Kelly is? Yeah, okay. It, it, I'm not exactly sure. Not 100% sure. Because I, I just don't feel like we know him yet. He hasn't He hasn't defined it. He should get out and define exactly who he is before somebody tries to define it for him, right? Hmm. So why did a guy intentionally crash into a self-driving van here? We're going to tell you the story behind it. And it's a, a, maybe a good reminder to count backwards from 10 sometimes. And Pamela Hughes. So we have seen the Waymo, specifically the Waymo vans, like minivans driving around. They're white. They got a girl with green logo on them. You and I, Pamela, uh, took a ride from one. We went from downtown Chandler to the mall and back in a self-driving van. It was pretty amazing, yeah, right? The technology is incredible. It, 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 it tr- and that was probably two years ago. So I can only imagine it's gotten better on some level. 
But that doesn't mean everybody's excited about the Waymo. A former Waymo employee is under arrest for allegedly intentionally causing a crash that injured one person inside the self-driving car. Tempe Police Detective Greg Bacon says Raymond Tang was seen on video intentionally driving his vehicle in front of a Waymo car and then suddenly braking, causing the car to rear-end him. There are open investigations in other jurisdictions uh, of similar natures. This is definitely not the first one. Uh, It looks like these have been occurring since as early as late October in some of those other jurisdictions. According to court documents, Waymo was Tang's former employer, but he was fired. He's now facing aggravated assault, criminal damage, and reckless driving charges. All right. right. So we've got like a disgruntled former employee, Former employee says, I'm going to show you. I'm going to go and try to get into an accident with one of your self-driving vehicles. If he's a former employee. He should know better. But not only that, don't you realize that they have like cameras everywhere absolutely everywhere it's yeah. 360 yeah. degrees if there's more degrees they have it you know he, he but, actually was a vehicle operator yes and he, his employment with waymo concluded a year ago he was like oh a year ago yes. okay we wish him the best in his future <laughs> right exactly the, the email went out um and he obviously was pretty ticked off about that still okay holding a grudge mm-hmm. it happens but what's fascinating to me in situations like this is people going to seek revenge, right? That revenge of, I'm going to show Waymo. And, and this guy, brake checks, admits to brake checking the Waymo vehicle that, you know, um, and what ended up happening, and, and the vehicle wasn't in uh, self it wasn't in the autonomous mode. There was actually somebody driving it. So it had a human time. behind the had wheel. a human actually Maybe if driving. it was an autonomous road, it wouldn't have gotten an accident. <laughs> maybe, right? Maybe. Um, and he was mad. He was uh, angry. Uh-huh. He sees one of these Waymo cars and decides to, to seek revenge. And, and I'm, I'm, I wonder why people do that. Because right. in the moment, it may, it may sound like a great idea. Oh, right? it sounded good you on know paper. What? I'm, I'm going to stick it to the man. Yeah. I'm going to give it to Waymo. Listen, Waymo is going to be just fine. You, on the other hand, <laughs> you not so much. <laughs> He's been charged with felony aggravated assault, Oof. felony criminal damage. Got it. Misdemeanor charges of endangerment and reckless driving, and he's booked into the Tempe City Jail. And it's, by the way, and it's all on video. This didn't end well. You know, revenge can blind you to the reality of the situation. Hmm. And I find it fascinating when people go, I'm going to go get him. Okay, that might feel good for like 30 seconds to three minutes, but then are you prepared for the fallout that that's going to lead to for the next three years? Well, and and here's something also to... to Mr. Mr. Tang uh, has questionable judgment. I'm being nice because he is like he's suspected of being involved in other incidents with Waymo vehicles. This wasn't the first time. Oh, with him? He is a suspect. I didn't realize that. In other self-driving vehicle incidents in which damage was caused to them. So he's been on a one-man jihad against Waymo, and there is apparently... And if you worked for him, you had to know there's video of everything that you did. Right. So when Bruce and I were in the Waymo vehicle, (laughs) it was pretty incredible just to see the technology in in play. And I know some of you you drive around them all the time out there in the East Valley. I'm not one of them. I'm open to it. It's just not something that, that I regularly do. 
And I mean, they pick up everything. The sensors are everywhere and they have to. If a dog runs out in front of the street, if a kid runs out in front of the street, if the grocery cart, you know, goes haywire and goes out like the, the car the has to stop. So they have to have the technology to pick all that stuff up. He obviously knew this and didn't care. Right. Because one of the things in in in. If you're in one of these vehicles, remember the the screen we could see? Yeah, it was in the headrest. And it was what the radar was seeing. And you could see something as simple as a person standing between two vehicles. Oh, it picks up everything. And it picked up on this thing. And, and, and the computer's looking at that saying, Do you be remember? careful if that person steps out. Uh, we were we were driving and there was a woman who was walking to the back of her trunk like to, 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 to put trunk. something yes. in it. Yes. And the, the Waymo vehicle kind of like slowed down, slowed down and scooted over a little and bit. And gave her room to get into her everything. trunk. And I was like, I don't he do that. He had to know that. I don't, I don't do he that. He didn't care. No. He was he didn't on think a mission. He didn't think this through. Think and this most through. people, when they're seeking revenge, don't. Yes, but it wasn't like spur of the moment. Apparently, he's been doing this for a while. Yeah, but he's not going to do it anymore. No, he is not. No. That's you fair. got two felony charges against you. So, Mr. Tang is probably a great example, because I'm going to guess if he's got a Facebook page, he's been ranting and raving about the Waymo on it. Can a company decide not to hire you because of your social media posts? What about freedom of speech? We're going to talk to an attorney. It's coming up next on Arizona's News Station. Arizona's news station, KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Get some perspective. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. Bruce, I'll always love you, man. I appreciate that. I'll always love you, too. There you go. Whitney says it best, right? Happy Valentine's Day. Um, You know, I remember the conversation we've had recently where uh, more and more employers, when people are... uh, uh, going ahead and, and applying for a job that the employers are doing a little background search. And it's not like they're going to a background search company. They're going to the Facebook, the Twitter, the Instagram, and they're just looking at your posts. Yeah. You know what? And they're using the resources available to them. And we had some situations recently where people have suspected they didn't get the job or they're getting fired because of Facebook posts. And we wanted to dive a little bit deeper okay. into that. So joining us right now in the KTAR studio is Jessica Post. Now, Jessica leads the labor and employment practice group at Fenimore Craig and deals with this pretty regularly. So we wanted an expert in here to help folks navigate what has now become quite commonplace. So good morning to you, Jessica. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so what kind of experiences have you had with either a company who has been, you know, had a, a claim filed against them for not hiring someone or someone who thinks that they didn't get hired because of their social media posts? Is this becoming more common? Are you seeing more of this? I would say on the pre-hiring process, I've not seen a lot of claims. I know that I there have been brought. I haven't actually had to counsel employers in that particular pre-hiring, I have counseled employers when a claim is brought or there's a situation actually with a current employee where the company or somebody at the company realizes that somebody made a post that was... The the ones that have actually come to me have actually usually been discriminatory posts. So, Jessica, here's the thing that maybe it strikes me as might be hard to prove or hard to know. Um, If an employer doesn't specifically tell you um, we were going to hire you until we saw that, uh, you know, you're the beer world bong beer bong champion, champion yeah. you know, and, uh, and every single weekend you, you post, uh, you know, how many beers you could drink. If they don't tell you, how do you know you were weeded out by your Facebook 
timeline? I mean, generally, you you wouldn't know. Um, and actually, the example that you gave in terms of somebody who's like, hey, I'm on my you know 12th beer of the day, look <laughs> at me. That would actually be a legitimate reason that an employer could say, looking at the Facebook page, you know, this person's not for us. We don't want them. Okay. Um, but it, it is hard for an applicant, particularly if you have a big applicant pool, to suspect that there's something that they did post, like for ha- perhaps maybe they were pregnant or perhaps they had a medical condition or something that would be in that protected category that they posted. It would be hard if you have a big applicant pool to be able to show that that information was learned and was part of a hiring decision by a company. Again, we're talking with Jessica Poe. She's the lead labor and employment practice group at Fenimore Craig. All right. So let's take it away from the applying for a job scenario, because it may be very difficult for you to know you didn't get that job or that job offer or that interview because of what you put on Facebook. And here's just a pro tip for you guys. If you're looking for a job, clean it up. Okay, just clean up the Facebook page before you uh, even apply for a job, because this is what they're going to be doing and looking for anyway. But now let's take it into an office setting. You already have the job. You've been there for several years and you post something on your personal time that the company doesn't like. Um, Can they fire you for that? It's going to depend on what is posted. So and again, the one that's come to me is is where somebody goes to social, you know, social media, Facebook. And it's funny, it used to be the case that somebody would like, if you got really mad about something, maybe you would like write a letter and you wouldn't actually send it. But I think (laughs) what happens in social media is people get mad and they post it immediately, immediately. And so the posts that have been problematic are when people have posted like a discriminatory comment. Mm -hmm. And so that's then come to the company because another employee is Facebook friends with the the co-worker and has said, hey, this person's making me uncomfortable. Look at this racist statement that they made online. And it's difficult because now as a company, you know, technically was that statement made on personal time? Sure. But it has entered into the workforce. And now as a company, we've got information that we've got somebody who's out there making these types Hmm. of statements. And so a company will regularly terminate somebody for making a racist statement. Well, we had that incident with uh, police officers and uh, social media posts, not just here in Phoenix, but around the country. Again, we're talking to Jessica Post, a labor and employment attorney over at Fenimore Craig. So it, it strikes me that, and, and I think I'm aware that most companies of a certain size have some sort of a, a policy of some way, shape, or form, whether it's specifically a social media mm-hmm. policy or, uh, you know, you just can't embarrass us, for goodness sakes, you know, on, on some level. Right. But it strikes me that a lot of it is subjective. What is funny to one person is offensive to another, and you start getting into a heck of a lot of gray in there. That's right. Where are the... How do you determine where the line is? It feels like... I feel like... How about this? As an employee... I only know I crossed it until they told me I did. <laughs> <laughs> and no, you're right. And there is gray. And so sometimes even in a situation that we have where somebody's perceived that another coworker's made a discriminatory statement, well, they, they might be themselves in a protected class. And maybe the statement's kind of gray. Maybe they're supporting mm. somebody who's perceived as racially intolerant. Um, and so it it is complicated, and that's where companies will usually consult with me or you know a labor and employment attorney to try to 
weigh the risks because some of those situations could be, hey, if we terminate the person, we're looking at a claim from them. Right. If they we have don't, an argument, too. Yeah. That's right. Hmm. Is there anything that uh, somebody could post that would be off limits to an employer to consider for termination and, and discriminatory? Oh. Sure, sure. So you actually um, earlier raised the example of where somebody posts something about their own company mm-hmm. that they don't like it. Well, that's actually a very care. Like we have to be very careful as an employer in that circumstance because employees who are allowed to they're not supervisors they're allowed to collectively bargain they're actually allowed to say negative statements about their comp about a supervisor Hold or about a working second. conditions wait a minute hold on hey, don't get any ideas <laughs> okay, i'm sorry it, it's only certain groups at companies <laughs> yes okay I'm, I'm, how come i want to guess i'm not in that group no. right yeah. <laughs> but no we're, we're very careful when an employee actually says hey i'm not paid enough at my job or a bunch of complain us about like, a working environment that, or something that that's that, right. that, that 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 is considered if you will that, employees having a discussion about that. That's right. That's a very like dangerous okay. area okay. for companies. Jessica Post, again, she leads the Labor and Employment Practice Group at Fenmore Craig. One last question for you, because most people listening right now are on social media in some capacity, whether it be Instagram, whether it be Facebook, TikTok, whatever you want, Snapchat. Wow. Do you have any <laughs> kind of, of, of one nugget, one piece of, of information that you would recommend that somebody who's either looking for a job or somebody who wants to keep their job, what do they need to keep in mind when navigating some of the minefields that can come Mm. with social media? Um, I would say probably two things. I would say first is that your social media page can actually help you, right? So LinkedIn is one that a lot of people use. Companies a lot of times validate what somebody says during an interview by going to LinkedIn. So if your LinkedIn page is good and in line with your resume, you've actually helped yourself as a candidate. But yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but I do think that, you know, if your urge is to constantly post, you should think about that because that's sort of in that category where employers look at somebody and they're like, well, they're constantly posting. They're critical about this, that. And it's harder to, to actually for sure get a job. Outstanding. Jessica, thank you for your time today. We do appreciate it. And again, there's some lessons in there. They strike me as a lot of common sense, Pamela. A lot of common sense lessons. But, but the thing is I got to tell you, as someone who hired people, yeah. it's amazing how little common sense is actually yeah, out there. Common sense not so common. Yeah. yeah. You would think. Um, how did Tucson Unified School District, the, the big school district down in Tucson, rack up? About a million dollars in lunch debt. How did that happen? How do you do that? What are they eating for lunch? We're going to talk about that. It's coming up next on Arizona's News Station. Arizona's News Station. KTAR News on 92.3 FM. Bruce St. James and Pamela Hughes. I can't think of the Bee Gees without... I get this image in my head. That uh, Barry Gibb. Mm-hmm. Isn't that what Jesus looks like? I mean, he's like the living embodiment, right? Uh, deep thoughts by Bruce St. James on this Valentine's I'm like, Day. I think, I, think, I think that's what he looks like. Maybe. Okay. Um, so we've had these, do you remember these conversation? I want to say, is the term lunch shaming? Yeah, Am exactly I getting that right? Yep. And so lunch shaming is a relatively new term, I never had it happen in my life, where uh, kids at schools don't have money for lunch, for the lunch period, and so they don't get to eat the same lunch as the other kids Mm -hmm. do. They get some sort of bare-bones lunch, right? Like PB&J. That's lunch shaming. 
So in Tucson, T-U-S-D. So they say. I don't agree with that, but yes, that, that's the concept. I'm trying to give the definition that's of it. That's the right. concept, sure. So in Tucson, T-U-S-D is the school district. It's 90% of the schools. Don't quote me on that. But when I was there, there was TUSD and nothing else. Okay? <laughs> okay. So it is basically the entire school system in the city of Tucson. So it's pretty large, right? And they have been... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue struggling with the lunch shaming concept. Okay. Now, uh, struggling financially because of it. I got to take you prior to 2017. So just okay. a few years ago, they had a cap. And, and, and the cap was students um, who didn't pay for two meals um, had to get one of these lower paying kind of lower kind of meals, like a bagel for breakfast or a grilled cheese sandwich for lunch. They which, didn't get the Salisbury steak and tots. Yeah, which you know what? I'll take the grilled cherry, the grilled yeah. cheese sandwich over the Salisbury yeah. steak mystery meat any day of the week. But mid two thousand seventeen, there was the federal anti lunch shaming act, which let what? schools provide a meal regardless of whether or not the student had money to pay. So we've heard all this before. Why are we talking about it right now? Prior to change their policy pre-2017, Tucson Unified School District said, you know what, uh, you can, you have two meal capacity, right? After after you've charged two meals, two. You're, you're cut off and you've got to get the grilled cheese no sandwich. No soup for you. At that point in time, on average, they would carry over a debt of about twenty to $25,000 a year in unpaid lunch debt. That's a lot. It seems like a lot. 20 yeah. to 25 grand. 25 to 25 grand unpaid lunch debt. The first year the district stopped that two lunch cap. Okay, we're not going to do charges. anymore. We're not going to shame these kids for not paying for their lunch. We're unlimited. You know what I mean? We're, we're not going to cap them at, at Run two. the tab. It shot, it went from like 20, 25 grand. Right up to like 50 grand, right? To 230. <laughs> Last year. Okay. $365,000. In wait, unpaid lunches. But wait, there's more. The district is on track oh boy. to end the current year yeah, yeah, yeah. with anywhere from 700000 to $1 million tab and unpaid lunches. I find it hard to believe that TUSD is a unique school district in Arizona where they're just sitting on all this extra cash as well. So you, this oh, sounds, not. They no school, don't have nobody, it. No school in Arizona sitting on any right. extra cash. So the fact that they basically can't charge for lunch... And people, I mean, I think it's obvious that people are taking advantage well, of Well, they, they charge. It's just not getting paid. Right. And you can run up a, a so unpaid they're going balance. back. They're going back to the two lunch cap. So they're going back to, you know what, you got two strikes. Now, a lot of the district, about 70% of the student body in that district qualifies for free and reduced lunch. Yeah. So roughly you have 30%. Of the population that's ringing up this tab. Now, is it taking advantage of it? I'm sure there's a there's a part of that. It's what are, it feels like. Are there other families who are under financial hardship? Yeah, that might be part of it. I think what's probably even a bigger aspect of it is parents sometimes forget to put money on the student's account and didn't realize that the kids are just racking it up. I used to get it on the on the on the kitchen counter with my lunch money. Because I don't know if many parents even recognize that being charged is an option. How do you run up a debt? Well, okay, when I was in school, you had to pay money for it. No, that's changed. I had to give them dollar bills, well, y'all. we had to give tickets. That's not what happened. I didn't have now. tickets. We I had to online. give them money. No, we go money. online and we put money in Riley's account. Go back to the money system and you would ha- break you, this. You, you might have that down in Tucson. But I think, yeah, the headline, the headline that they you They could got, run up a million dollars in lunch debt in one year. And, you're and concerned, two years ago, it was $25,000. And you're concerned about a kid getting a grilled cheese sandwich instead. 
I don't think that's the worst case scenario. I think no, the million dollar death. Yeah, works. you and I both, man. Right there with you. Right there with you. Good night, Irene. Active shooter drills. Speaking of schools, do they unnecessarily scare kids? We're going to be talking about that. It's coming up next on Arizona's News Station.